0: In recent weeks, a well-known intravenous treatment is getting more attention. It's called convalescent plasma, and it's the protein-based serum derived from removing the cells from blood. Injecting someone with the plasma of someone who has recovered from COVID-19 can potentially increase the odds of someone fighting off the illness quicker. But exactly how effective is it? With the new emergency youth authorization, we may not fully know. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Jonathan Wozen, you're the biotech reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and you really dove into this question of the efficacy of convalescent plasma. But first, uh, let's bring us up to speed. What is this treatment, and how long have we known about it?
1: So we've known about it for, frankly, over 100 years, uh, going back to the early 1900s. And the idea is pretty simple. It's not too sophisticated an idea. The idea is that if you get a disease, you get an infection and you fight it off, your body makes an immune response to that virus, to that bacteria, whatever it is. And one part of that response is to produce antibodies. So these are those Y-shaped proteins I feel like I've been talking a lot about that can grab onto a virus, onto its surface. And if they grab at the right spot and if they grip tightly enough can prevent that virus from infecting your cells. And so the idea is that because after you've recovered, you have some amount of antibodies essentially floating around in your blood, what if we can take those antibodies from someone who's recovered, give them to someone who's currently battling a disease, and use them to treat that person? So plasma is taking blood uh, from someone who's, from anyone, frankly, but in this case, from someone who survived COVID-19, Removing the red blood cells and the white blood cells. And basically, what you're left with is a sort of pale yellow fluid that's rich in antibodies. And so, you get you know, a bag of plasma from, from a donor and can then infuse that intravenously. So, through sort of an IV uh, drip in someone who currently has disease. And, and, and so, the idea is to get them those antibodies to block the virus and, and hopefully help them make a recovery and, and turn around.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It's like you're kind of trading immunity from one person to the other. But I imagine that there's a time element to this, right? Because the amount of antibodies a person have can vary, right?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a time element to this. So, you know, for one thing, it takes people it takes you about maybe about a week, uh, potentially longer, to develop an antibody response when you get infected by anything. One of the questions that there's still conflicting evidence around is exactly how long do those antibodies stick around once you've recovered from the virus. So potentially getting plasma from somebody who was infected with the virus that causes COVID-19, for example, let's say eight months ago, maybe there's not going to be quite as much antibody in there as there was a couple of weeks or a couple of months after infection. And we can, I can say a little bit about this. So, so the FDA emergency use authorization that, that came out on, I believe, on August 23rd, you mm-hmm. know, makes some mention of how dose seems to matter here. So, plasma that has more antibodies uh, seems to work better in treatment than plasma with medium or, or low amounts. It's not really a surprise. Uh, now, in a lot of cases. Physicians, researchers aren't measuring the exact amount of antibody. There, there are ways to get a sense of whether you have a lot of or a fairly little uh, coronavirus antibody in plasma. Um, and so you know when you can make those measurements, you're sort of more confident that you've got something that's going to be more potent and, and, and more effective. But when you don't have that information, uh, you know that, that gives you a little bit of uncertainty and might explain why there's a lot of variability in, in how patients that are treated with plasma uh, have, have been gone on to, to do.
0: Yeah, it's almost like an element of luck. It's like if you're recovering from COVID-19 and you're in the hospital, you might get that kind of amazing bag of plasma that's just chock full of antibodies, or you get the one that's kind of weak. So that you know that is kind of important.
1: Yeah. And we do know, for example, so so the Mayo Clinic, which was leading this Uh, National program called the Expanded Access Program, which uh, just wrapped up last Friday because of the emergency youth authorization. But uh, so the Mayo Clinic put out some results uh, a few weeks ago about sort of a study of 35,000 people with severe COVID 19 who had gotten plasma. And some of them got it basically within three days of diagnosis uh, versus later in time. And so, you know, we know, for example, people who were treated. Earlier, uh, roughly eight point something percent of those people passed away from COVID-19, uh, versus people who were treated later in the course of disease. I think it was around eleven uh, percent, roughly, of, of those people passed away. So it seems like treating earlier may, you know, is is better, uh, which makes sense because at that stage, your immune system, you know, if you can stop the virus, that can potentially turn the tide of disease. But uh, people who are getting really severe COVID-19, you know, critical cases of COVID-19, what you're also dealing with is the immune system sort of inflammatory reaction to the virus. And so at that point, it's no longer the virus per se, it's the inflammation that's damaging and destroying your lungs. And so blocking a virus at that point doesn't really change that piece
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still a metaphor that I heard uh, a couple months ago in this pandemic. The immune response is kind of like imagine a medieval village just trying to fight a monster, just going at it with like pitchforks and like torches and stuff. While antibodies are kind of like a, a soldier that knows what it's doing and can actually like focus on fighting the disease specifically, rather than just kind of throwing everything at it that causes other damage.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely it's a really good way to think about it. So. You know, in your immune response, there are generally two phases. There's one uh, pretty fast, but also pretty non-specific, So it's not really an immune response to SARS-CoV-2 per se. It's an immune response to a virus or a broad type of virus or broad type of bacteria. So that piece of the immune response happens pretty quick, uh, but isn't as focused. And then sort of what takes about a week or a little longer than that is to have other pieces of the immune system that are really specific in seeking out and blocking and attacking whatever pathogen, whatever germ you've been um, infected with. And we know that sort of those early responders use inflammation as, as a way to uh, deal with infection. But when they go a little too far, um, that can create what are sort of called cytokine storms. You can kind of think of, like, think of it like an avalanche that can get out of control uh, with inflammation. And in certain cases, frankly, that's even more dangerous than uh, than the actual in infection. Mm-hmm.
0: And while this is an effective treatment for a variety of diseases, it uh, famously didn't work for Ebola. Can you explain why that was the case?
1: Yeah. So that was a 2016 study uh, during the, the uh, Ebola outbreak in in West Africa, and, and this was a clinical trial, I believe, in in Guinea. Um, and I think, if, if I'm remembering correctly, what the New England Journal of Medicine said, one one of the issues was that they raised was this question of uh, dose. So, exactly, you know, how much antibody is needed uh, to, to benefit patients? So, kind of similar questions of dose, and what are really the right type of antibodies and and what should they be, you know, recognizing what pieces of the virus should they be, uh, recognizing. So, you know, because of that, every person's antibody response is a little bit different, frankly, in terms of how much they make and quantity and quality. Um, And so in that that study, they found that overall, the plasma treatment didn't significantly benefit uh, patients, at least as far as overall survival. Mm -hmm.
0: And also, do we know of any drawbacks of using uh, convalescent plasma for COVID-19 or just in general?
1: So in general, it's considered to be very safe. Uh, this is a treatment that's been used as far back as the the last global pandemic that really uh, took the world by storm and shut things down, the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919. Uh, so we know it, it, it historically convalescent plasma is very safe. Uh, we also know as far as This particular pandemic, that so the Mayo Clinic had also put out a study earlier this summer looking at about 20,000 people who had received convalescent plasma treatment. And it's a fairly diverse group. I think about uh, 20% African-American, about a third Hispanic, uh, roughly 40% were women. And so we know overall that the percentage of people who had side effects that were directly related to getting convalescent plasma was lower than 1%. And in some cases, that included sort of a, an allergic type reaction to the plasma, or issues in terms of blood clotting. Uh, but very, very few people experience that. So the one question from my reporting that I kept asking was, you know, is this safe? And generally, the answer was, yeah, we're very comfortable saying that this is a safe treatment.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the confusion about uh, convalescent plasma broadly is the fact that it hasn't been through that rigorous study when it comes to COVID nineteen. Can you explain the kind of uh, trade offs that we're making with the current emergency youth authorization and, you know, without having that trial?
1: Yeah. So I think one issue here is, you know, we still don't have. There's no cure for COVID nineteen. There's no surefire treatment and. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are getting this disease and dying from it. So there's, you know, just an immense uh, need for new treatments for things that can help patients and getting that into the clinic fast. So yes, this you know emergency use authorization is going to certainly increase the number of people that get the treatment. Uh, one of the sort of things that, that's triggered some criticism, you know, a lot of questions from. Uh, researchers and and experts in the scientific community is the fact that the evidence, the large-scale evidence, large-scale trial that we had for plasma uh, is based on comparing people that got plasma early versus people that got plasma later in disease. What we don't have is a group of people who did not get convalescent plasma. So we don't necessarily know how does any of this data compare to the current standard of care without plasma. Uh, and so that makes it hard to say definitively that this treatment is providing a, a benefit over everything else that, that we're currently doing. The same way that when you do a vaccine, there's a group of people that get vaccine, there's a group of people that get placebo. So you can conclude, okay, this vaccine protects against flu, protects against COVID, protects against polio, whatever it is. Um so they didn't in this Mayo Clinic study, they didn't include that cohort. And so You know, a lot of people are looking at that and very skeptical and then, uh, you know, kind of understandably so, I think. Uh, But then there's also this piece where we know it's safe. We have a lot of evidence that it's safe. And, uh, you know, how do you weigh those potential pros and cons in the middle of this global pandemic?
0: Mm -hmm. And you actually spoke with a woman who received some convalescent plasma, uh, Maya Barajas. Uh, Why don't you tell us uh, her story?
1: Yeah, so I spoke with Maya on uh, Friday. So she basically uh, got COVID back in in late March and started off with some symptoms that felt a little unusual to her. Had body aches, uh, had really bad stomach pains. I think she said that it felt like her stomach was on fire, but wasn't really coughing, wasn't sneezing, wasn't immediately running a fever. Um, so didn't really recognize that that maybe she had COVID or had COVID symptoms. Uh, you know, within a few days, that changed. She went into the emergency room, tested positive for the coronavirus, also had pneumonia, uh, developed a low-grade fever that became uh, a much more intense fever. And then pretty much from that point on, her her memory of exactly what happened was a little fuzzy because, she, you know, she really her condition crashed. She was in the ICU, but I spoke with her Mother as well, and I, I know that Maya was in the ICU for weeks, and mm-hmm. her mother was essentially looking into every possible treatment option that was out there, which still isn't many, but included, you know, contacting. I think she said she contacted Gilead, the company that sells Remdesivir, which is you know, sort of the one other emergency use authorized treatment right now for COVID. Uh, but one of the doctors in the intensive care unit had mentioned, you know, there's this thing called convalescent plasma. Here's what it is. There are people who are already getting treated with it, although we're still learning about how it works, if it works, how well it works. Uh, But but they sort of jumped at the opportunity, or uh, her mother jumped at the opportunity for that treatment. Uh, Her mother had had COVID-19, by the way, and had recovered. And so she wanted to be the one to uh, donate plasma to her daughter. Uh, The San Diego Blood Bank, which has been collecting plasma here in the county and then distributing that to a lot of local hospitals. They already had plasma that was essentially in the fridge, uh, in the freezer. So they were able to get that to Maya on April 18th. And then within about a week, uh, Maya actually was taken off the ventilator, uh, spent another month going through physical therapy, recovering, you know, learning how to sort of sit up and walk again and building back some strength after being in the hospital for a long period of time. Uh, now she says she feels really good now. She says she feels almost like it's surreal to think that she had COVID. So, so that was a pretty incredible recovery in terms of what she went through. Um, so we do have anecdotes like that for people that have gotten plasma and really sort of the question is how many people are likely to get that type of benefit, uh, from this treatment. And it's, that's where it gets tricky to say, um, sort of without this process of randomizing a certain group of people to get treatment versus placebo, which is, by the way, what uh, was done in a trial of, of remdesivir, uh, which, which came out you know earlier this year, which uh, showed some benefits. And that was how that drug got emergency use authorization. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's, it's nice to hear a positive story of recovery, because now we're hearing a lot about people who have a number of lingering symptoms, these so-called long haulers. So it, it sounds like at least uh, Maya may have dodged that bullet for now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're still learning about the sort of long term, you know, lingering effects of this virus on in, in terms of people's how people's circulatory system, you know, their heart conditions and and uh but again, in her case she says that she feels strong and healthy, which um is is really great to hear, obviously. hmm
0: And as we learn more about this pandemic, uh, what other stories are you hoping to, you know, dive into or get some answers about the pandemic?
1: Well, I think, you know, one thing that I, we've kind of been looking at, and it's uh, still up in the air, is this question of reinfection. So, uh, you know, people have, certain number of people, 30 plus thousand people have, have been infected, right, with uh, SARS-CoV-2 here in San Diego County, actually a little bit more than that. Uh, and, you know, those who've recovered have presumably had some sort of immune response you know, we're still learning more about how strong that is and how long it lasts. And so I think the question is, how likely are people to be reinfected? I had spoken with the county, sort of asked them to go back to their data. Uh, so they had only found, this is a few weeks ago now, a couple of weeks ago, but they'd only found about three people who had been, who had tested positive for this virus and then tested positive again at least three months down the road. And the three months is important because we think that's about how long the virus can actually linger in someone who's already recovered. So you can sort of recover and still be shedding virus for three months. So anything beyond that three-month period means that you've been probably reinfected. Although in those three cases the county mentioned, uh, the actual amount of virus was so low that they think that maybe actually that still is a little bit of residual virus. Um, Since they told me that, we've heard reports, uh, I think out of China of a couple of cases of reinfection. What we don't know is that those seem to be people who've tested positive uh, for a reinfection, but but really not been sick at all, uh, little if at all. And we also don't know sort of how contagious they are. So if you're getting reinfected, not getting sick, and not getting others sick, that may not necessarily be an issue. But if you're getting infected, and then shedding active virus that can um, get other people sick, then, then potentially that is concerning. So I think we'll be continuing to, to look at, at that piece, uh, which is a hard thing to look at until, frankly, enough time has passed to, to see really you know, how many of these new second cases are coming up.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, Jonathan Wozen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you want to include the San Diego Union Tribune in your morning routine, check out our daily flash briefing. Every weekday morning, hear a quick summary of the day's top stories. Just search San Diego Union Tribune wherever you get your podcasts, including smart speakers. Until next time.